Am I right? Here it is, and it is letting us know that it is here. All right, well, as you can see, I'm not David Lambert. Um, I received a phone call earlier, uh, New Year's Eve, about the afternoon, kind of what was going on in David's family, and it quickly became uh, uh, you know, evident that, that I would probably be up here, deliver a message. You know, back in seminary, we had, uh, in the preaching class, there was one assignment we had. We had 10 minutes to come up with a, a sermon. And, uh, you know, they said, eventually that may happen to you. So I had a little bit longer than 10 minutes. Actually, I was at a service one time. The pastor had to be called out. And it was a good thing, a, a birth of a baby that was coming a little earlier than expected. And they were already in the service, and there was one song left until the sermon. And he left. And uh, so it was the worship pastor who was doing the song. So he had about three and a half minutes while he was doing his song to get ready for the sermon. I think that was the quickest I've ever ever seen. It was during Advent, so he had some good text to, to jump into. Um, but um, thinking about New Year's Eve, New Year's has always honestly been a strange time for me. Um, I remember when I was younger, uh, going to another family, a larger family at our church, and uh, shooting up more fireworks than we you know, probably should have, a ton of, of fireworks, um, and then, uh, one year being run off the road by somebody that was celebrating a little too much, um, that, that was pretty scary. And then for years, Chrissy and I babysat a family. This was probably the funniest thing. Babysat a family that they went to a New Year's party. So we were watching their child who was already asleep when we got there. And this is a child we actually never even met. I always wondered if the child woke up and needed something. They didn't know us from anybody else. We knew the parents. We didn't really know this child. And we did this for about four years, and the child never woke up, you know. And uh, <laughs> it was funny. It was like, I need to make sure there's really a kid here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was looking at pictures of the family, like, okay, this is what they look like. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was, so New Year's, and, and thinking about resolutions, we always think about to the previous years, and maybe some kind of goal or hope that we had that just kind of fell to the wayside. We got a couple weeks in, maybe a month in, if we're, if we're good. And, uh, and then it just goes away. And so it, it's just been kind of strange thinking of New Year's. And, and I think the most satisfying thing I did this year was watch uh, Luke Skywalker blow up the Death Star. I set the movie to where at midnight he blew up the Death Star. And that was pretty fun. Uh, so I'll, I'll, if anybody wants to know that, I can t- share that with you afterwards, uh, the timing for that. Well, when we think of New Year's as a Christian... Sometimes we think of these big steps, these big things that we need to just change overnight somehow. And we can get discouraged if they don't happen. But the life for a Christian is actually a progression in godliness all the time. That's what it should be. It's our sanctification. That's the expectation that that Jesus had with his first followers. We just saw that in uh, David's previous sermon series before Advent, going through the Gospel of Mark. You know, Mark intentionally was, you know, Jesus was on the move. The the word immediately is used a lot. Well, Jesus was taking his followers along with him to immediately go from this point. And and he didn't want them, he didn't want those fishermen and that tax collector and his different disciples to be the same person that they were when he was about to be arrested. Now, that didn't mean that they were perfect, that they got it right. And we saw that through the Gospel of Mark, how there were... uh, some failings that are written in there from some of the disciples, and that we will fall flat. 
But it is a progression of growing towards Christ. And as I was looking for a text today, I wanted to really choose something that, that helps remind us who God is for us and then kind of steps along the way that we can kind of reach those goals of, of progressing in our sanctification. Now, there are a lot of slogans and tweets today, I guess, around Christianity that usually goes something like this. Jesus loves you for who you are. And then we combine that with some of the world slogans that we hear. Just be you. Follow your heart. We kind of combine all that to start to think Jesus just wants us for who we are right now for always. That's not really correct. Jesus does love you. You know, there's no strings attached or, or, or check marks or anything. You know, he, he called his disciples where they were, who they were. And he went and ministered to people and showed love to them where he found them. But he did call them for more. He called them, go and sin no more. Go and, you know, you see that often that Jesus does a healing. And then on the, the other side of that, go and sin no more. That there's a progression, that there's a sanctification, a change that's expected. So I wanted to share a text, and I think actually our scripture readings and, and uh, the songs that, that will go with David's message talking about Scripture next week, and I hope you return, and, and Lord willing, David can be here to lead us into that. But today, I think, is a good lead-in to that with our text today in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is, uh, you know, just one of the 150 psalms, but Psalm 34 stands out. It's a psalm of thanksgiving, of praise, but there's also points in it, it, it really sounds like Proverbs. There's some points along the way, it sounds like the wisdom Kind of the wisdom section out of Proverbs. Literally some of the verses could have just been taken out of Proverbs. And, and Proverbs and Psalms are already related. But I think it gives good guidance and a good starting point for the new year for us in Psalm 34. And when we combine those two aspects, thanksgiving to God, and then taking wisdom from the Lord, it's a good place to start. Now, Psalm 34 there's an inscription that's probably in your Bible before it. Now, inscriptions were late, later added, uh, sometimes quite after the, the psalm had been written. A lot of these are historical markers uh, who probably wrote this psalm. And, and sometimes the text, sometimes the text on the psalm, it's pretty evident that it, it does match the, this episode in the Old Testament. This one is really unique in, in Psalm 34. It says, concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out and he departed. That's a, that's a pretty unique and memorable uh, kind of inscription above this psalm. And it, it goes back to 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 5. It relates how David was delivered from the king of Gath. And David was scared. He was running. He was, Saul was after him. And he ended up um, in front of a bunch of Philistines. And the Philistines started saying things that they remembered about him. He thought he could just kind of hide in there. And they actually knew more than what he thought they would know about him. And so his strategy to get out of this situation was to act like he was out of his mind. It says in 1 Samuel, he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, hopefully none of us got to that point around our family, around the holidays. Uh, but... Uh, you know, David's having his uh, Clark Griswold moment right here. But he, that is his strategy to get out. 
And it doesn't really match when you see the text in here. You can read some of the, I guess, emotions and some of the thoughts that would have been going on. But the point is, this psalm is very general, can be generally used for the way, for the people of God um, and what we know about the Lord. But that's just a side note about the inscription. It's pretty unique. But let's look at verses 1 through 3 first. Psalm 34, 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. These first verses, 1 through 3, bless and boast in the Lord. And there's two components to this. There's a personal aspect as we go in for verse 1. And then as we end verse 3, it kind of turns to uh, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. It turns to a communal aspect of it. And that's correct. They're both right. There, we are to bless the Lord at all times throughout the day. And then boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. Now, we certainly don't have a boastful culture, do we? We do. We very much do. And it, it, it's in every area. Wealth, everything I just read, wealth, wisdom, all those things. The Lord said, don't boast in these things. Wisdom, strength. We see it. And not only do we see it, we can see it in sports. We can see it from the wise. We can see it from the famous but we actually prop them up, or at least pretend to, sometimes on social media. Give them a thumbs up, even though we might, underneath, kind of be really jealous about it. And not really, uh, like, I, I wish I could be that person. So we have a boastful culture. We're kind of used to doing these things. But what's ironic about it, the things we boast in, in our world, in our culture, eventually there's going to be a new technology that outdoes the other one. Eventually, there's going to be a better cure that maybe even does something more effectively than the one before that. Eventually, there's going to be a better athlete that shatters that previous older record that we thought would never be touched. A lot of the things we put our hopes and, and we look towards and we, we are boasting about are wealth. You know, one can accumulate a lot of wealth and spend it all. And even if they don't spend it all, they can't take it with them. So simply put, the things we boast or brag about, many times they have a shelf life. But thanks be to God, He does not. That's why God, the Lord says, boast in me. Boast in me. There's no amount of praise or thanksgiving that we can give the Lord and it would never be enough. Even if we tried to do that 24-7, which we could not do. It would never be enough. God is eternal. There's no shelf life on God's attributes and what He is and what He's done for us.
verse 1, there's a personal aspect of, of praise in these three verses. Bless the Lord at all times. It says praise will always be on my lips. It's a desire for the writer of the Psalms uh, for, and for each one of us. That means that most of our, if we're constantly doing it, most of our praise and worship to God is in moments where nobody else is watching. That's what it would mean. Is that a lot of these moments are private moments that we have with the Lord, blessing and praising Him during our daily routines of life. And then it goes to the communal aspect. It quickly turns. Look at this, verse 3. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. The psalmist is inviting you along. Praise Him with me. Let us exalt His name together. You know, in worship every week, uh, David, Matt, and I sit down and we, uh, you know, our, our worship planning meeting is in preparation and anticipation for these moments together to proclaim God as the body. Now, as the family pastor, I want to remind you the communal aspect is not just for here in the sanctuary. It's not just for the fellowship hall. There is a togetherness of praising God that is meant for your family. And in fact, the Psalms would have been used not only in the synagogues, not only in the places of worship, but would have been known and, and used by families together. The most notable, the Psalms of Ascent, 120 through, uh, Psalms 120 through 134. These were used by Jew, Jewish pilgrims on their way together during the annual religious festivities. These were really Psalms that they would have had memorized, they would have known, and they would have... Uh, Sung these as a community going together on a journey. So what are ways both personal and communal during this new year you could commit to the Lord in your praise and worship? Do you have a routine throughout the day to remember and praise God? A personal routine. Do you have a communal time of praise with your family apart from the sanctuary? Does your family need to rejoin the communal worship with the body believers on Sunday morning? Maybe it is here on this sanctuary. Those are some good questions to ask and some things to, to kind of be introspective and look inside for yourself and for your family this new year. Verse 4 through 7. I sought the Lord and He answered me and He rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I hope these set of verses right here are a comfort and hope to you during a turbulent and stressful time. As Matt mentioned, already today, so many distractions, so many things going on, that these words in the psalm could be an encouragement to you. One through, verses 1 through 3 already showed us that our life should be full of praise. And our praise continues during the storms of life. I sought the Lord and He answered me and rescued me through all my fears. Now, sometimes we use God as a lifeline. And it's when the storms and fears come, we kind of use God sometimes like the emergency phone in an elevator. Okay, The emergency phone in the elevator, you never notice it. You really shouldn't ever notice it, but it is there. We have to have that, you know, by law. We have to have that. If the elevator stops, then it becomes really important. <laughs> That's sometimes how we treat God. We're going along in life, and then when the elevator gets jammed, where's that emergency phone that I can talk to God? 
If you have small kids, you might have noticed that phone a little bit at other times when they're going to push that red button or something. But uh, that's sometimes how we treat God. It's just kind of like the emergency phone on the elevator. And when we get stuck, that's where we're going to go to him to see if he answers. Well, it shows God answers and he saves us from our fears. But it's building off these first three verses that our life is built upon praising God at every moment. So it's not unusual. It's not, we don't have to go to God. God, we haven't spoken in a while, but I'm really stuck. I'm really in trouble right now. It's built off that relationship that's going day by day. And I know some of us have worries right now. COVID worries. Maybe personal loss. Maybe there's other things in life that have kind of dragged you down. And sometimes it doesn't take the reality away from the outcome or the circumstances surrounding it. But all I can tell you through going some personal stuff and loss before, that there's a peace that passes understanding when you know that God is there. It's really hard to put in words unless you have felt that peace. I know many of you have in other circumstances of life, that there's a peace that passes understanding to know that when you seek the Lord, verse 4, He answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Then I love verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. We get our joy from the Lord. And I've seen joy in people's faces and circumstances. I'm like, how, how are they having the joy that they have when they've gone through what they just went through? It's because their daily reliance is on the Lord. It's that plea in verse 6. This poor man, that's a plea from someone that's in desperation. For, that's a humble plea. That's not poor like an economic status. That's a humbleness. Uh, it could even be a humiliation sometimes. We're humiliated because sometimes maybe those storms were caused by our own doing. And we're humbly and maybe humiliated going to the Lord. But we're crying out to Him. And we're joyful when he hears and knows, and he does know our troubles. Verse 8 through 14. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will uh, will not lack any good thing. So again, the psalmist bridges the gap kind of from the previous verses over, over to these new verses. And it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I love that. Taste and see when I was reading that. That's just kind of, that's his invitation. Come and try it for yourself. Judge for yourself. I was thinking of uh, when you see those commercials like a, a Coca-Cola commercial. And all they show you is the can. And they're like zoomed into the can. And you see the ice like sliding off of it. It's just been pulled out, you know, the ice cold cooler. And all they have to do is just pop that top and you hear the fizz and stuff. All that commercial is saying is taste and see for yourself. That's all it's doing. You know, that's what the psalmist has gotten to this point. You know, about halfway through a psalm, taste and see for yourself. The Lord is good. How happy is he uh, is the person who takes refuge in him. He said, don't just take my word for it. Judge for yourself. That's what that taste and see is kind of judge for yourself. And that word refuge, take refuge in him, 
You know, today we had a storm coming in. And I know as kids, you kind of learn where to go if a storm comes, especially if you're outside. You know, you kind of learn where are the smart places and the not-so-smart places to come. Where's the refuge? You know, if you're in the middle, um, you know, I have baseball games where a storm comes in. You don't want to be on a field with metal, you know, bleachers and metal lights and standing in the middle holding a metal bat. That's not a good place of refuge. You don't want to go running under a tree uh, that's like the single tree in the middle of the field if there's a storm. You don't want to stay in the swimming pool when a storm's coming in. You have to find the right refuge. You need to find the right shelter. If you're at a football stadium, a lot of times you're going underneath that stadium or some kind of enclosed. You might not be able to get all the way inside, but you're doing the best you can. Now, mankind, we have a tendency to run to some pretty bad places of refuge during storms. Sometimes that can be relationships, just one relationship after another, and it hurts us again and again, and maybe we're going through other things, and we just use people. And maybe it can be alcohol. Sometimes it's just our attitude. It can be rage, hate, sometimes just apathy. But even sometimes, it doesn't look as big of a deal, but we're just trying to put a Band-Aid over it. We'll just scroll through social media just to take our minds off the real issues going on, just to do that. Or maybe we'll binge watch TV and not try to work on the storms in our life. I'm not saying watching a TV show is bad, but when you're doing that at the expense of family, of your kids, of your spouse, and things are are not going well, if there's depression going on inside of you, if you're going through loss or illness and you're just trying to cover up, going through these bad places of refuge that really aren't going to help what's going on underlying, then we're just putting a Band-Aid on. It's not lasting healing. We have to go to the healer. It It says, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him, in the Lord, Jesus said, it is uh, in Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who requires a doctor, but the sick. I did not come to appeal to the righteous, but to sinners. Jesus is giving us an invitation. Has sinful, broken people to come to Him. He's the healer. He's the, the ultimate healer doctor for us. You need to take refuge in the Lord. And on top of that, there may be some chronic or serious situations. You need to get a professional help, helper, a counselor. Maybe a doctor involved, uh, a pastor involved for counseling. And I think it's ironic that in the psalm that just told us God rescues us from all of our fears. Look at verse 9. You are his holy ones, fear the Lord. It does tell us, oh, you're not to not fear anything. He rescues you from fear, but the one who rescues you from fear is actually the one that we need to fear. And it's a healthy fear. It's a fear understanding the power of the Lord. Understanding his attributes, understanding that that he is what we are not. The fear of the Lord, and that takes us back to Proverbs. That's kind of the connection right there, back to Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can tie it back into to this. The fear of the Lord is all over Proverbs. Talks about that. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite creator God. He has a status worthy above any other thing. So the things that we usually put that we're fearing, 
God is in control. He is the one to be respected and counted on, and He's worthy. Verse 10, young lions like food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack uh, will not lack anything good. This tells us that God cares for us more than other creatures of His creation. Now God cares for the animals, but He didn't send Jesus for them. He sent Jesus for us. We are the image bearers of Him. So how much more would He care for us? Look at verse 11 through 14. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is, someone who, desire, uh, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from the evil and do what is good and seek peace and pursue it. Now, this reminds us that that whole section right there sounds just like going into the book of Proverbs. It gives us some very uh, applicable things to us, especially that last half of that. And it reminds us that God is good. He desires our life and our well-being. He's not out to get us. He's uh, Verse 12, he's someone who desires life. But it's also on us. There's a lot of storms in life, things that can brew up because of our own doing. And it reminds us that. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, there's many times we kind of stir up the snow and it creates the avalanche that's eventually taking things down. This reminds us that, you know, before you get to these points of where you need refuge from these storms, and there are storms that we have no control over. That's not taking those out of account. But it's reminding us of what we can do ourselves. That's a good reminder at the start of a new year. What we can do ourselves. Um, Verse 15. Look at this. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. Verse 15 and and, and 16, it kind of reminded me of just being a dad. And, uh, you know, we've had warmer weather lately. It's kind of felt more like spring or uh, maybe late summer than it really has December, you know, the end of December going into January. Um, and, uh, and I like the cooler weather. I don't know. Some of y'all might like the, the hot weather year round. I, I like uh, the, the changing seasons. And, uh, but it's been warm enough that my kids have been out riding their bikes. And uh, that's why I had a bike here. They've been out riding their bikes. Um, and, uh, and they've gotten comfortable enough where they're getting in the road a little bit in front of our... We have a street that's not too busy. But, Mom and I, we like to keep a watchful eye. You know, we like to keep a window open. We can hear them. We like to... We've set chairs out where we can see them. And you know what they do? They go up and down. They turn and make sure we're watching. They turn and, and they're just looking to see if we're checking in on them. That's what this verse reminds us. Uh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is also, so it's set on those that are following Him, but set against those who are against Him. I love that verse, because our Heavenly Father, who's omnipresent for each one of us, has His face turned to you. He's watching you. He's listening, listening for that cry of help. 
He's there for you. He hasn't turned away. And as the psalm continues and and, uh, goes through verse 22, it shows us the faithfulness followed by God doesn't come without a cost. Look at this. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. In verse 17, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversaries. Let me say that again. The one who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. That does remind us, kind of a sobering thought, that with righteousness there will be rivals. Following Jesus will come and there will be a cost. There will be opposition. Jesus never promised that that would not happen. But there's a great promise here that God will take care of it. Sometimes we think, man, you know, th- this situation or this person is, is really out against Christians or this state or, you know, this law. And we're like, when, when will this be settled? You know, will this ever be settled? Will this ever turn around? Will, this ever, will there ever be better religious freedom for Christians, you know, on this point or whatever? And some of that we may never even see and it may actually get worse. God didn't promise us that it's going to be easy road. But it does remind us that God is in control. He is the judge. It says he hates, uh, you know, he hates the wicked. They will not, um, it says verse 21, evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. That's not our own doing. That's, Really putting God in the front seat there of taking control of that. And sometimes we need to rest in that, that God is in control of those things. My pages jumped out of order. Here we go. So a recap just of Psalm 34. You know, and I could have picked a lot of different texts, but this one has told us a lot. There's a lot jam-packed in here. It's a reminder of where we start each day at the beginning of of, uh, verse 1. Praise and glory to God, both personally and as a community, with our families, with the body of believers, with the church. It reminds us we seek the Lord and He delivers us from all of our fears. But in an ironic twist, we find our our safety resting in fear of the Lord. And then the eyes of the Lord watch over us. That's a comforting thought for us as we go into 2022. The eyes of the Lord watch over us. But we also have to have our eyes open to watch out for ourselves. And then finally, the Lord rescues the righteous and evil will be dealt with accordingly. So God has a work for you to do yet in 2022. You know, New Year's resolutions, they often don't work because we expect some big change or some big jump overnight. And then when it doesn't happen, a few weeks down the road, we just kind of give up. 
in the uh, devotional New Morning Mercies, Paul David Tripp, he said, God's work in you is a process, not an event. It progresses not in three or four huge moments, but in 10,000 little moments of change. So God's work is in us in those little moments. And maybe from the outside looking in, it would look like those are mundane moments. But, you know, what's a prayer that you can say while you're brushing your teeth? You know, who can you pray for while you're doing that? Just think of a prayer. You know, it's the godly patience as a parent that you show to your kids when they're pushing your buttons and, and seeing what kind of reaction that you show patience. You know, it's the friendly conversations that you have with your neighbor, your coworker, or that delivery person that just sent you a bajillion Amazon packages to your front door. It's those conversations that you have that you start having faith conversations. You tell them what the most important thing is and then share your faith and then ask them about theirs. And another thing from the new year, David Lambert posted yesterday about Bible reading. Whatever plan you choose, however much time you read, I urge you to prioritize time in God's Word every day of 2022. And I'm sure that will connect more as he talks about God's Word next, next week. I had a pastor friend, he wrote an article specifically about Bible reading. This is what he said. Bible reading is not a burden to carry, but rather an invitation to meet with God. And see him as he is. Psalm 1611. This is important. Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this verse. In God's presence there is a fullness of joy. Has massive implications for our prayer life. For how we view things. View death. For how we view the glory of God. And for Bible reading. So rather than view Bible reading. Here at the start of the new year as a burden. Or maybe a, a jury summons. Let's look and remember God's grace revealed in the scriptures. And let's see that Bible is a roadmap to joy. Those are just some thoughts and some things as we go into the new year. Do you know the Lord? Do you need to make a commitment here today? First Sunday of 2022. For yourself or for your family. Maybe you've decided today God is your refuge. You've been running to the wrong place as a refuge. And you're tired, like those haven't worked. God is your ultimate refuge because He's above all else. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Please come down and, and see me. Maybe you need to make a commitment today for your family to join our congregation. Maybe you've been thinking about it and uh, would love, you know, we would love to have you. And, and we're not a perfect church, but we honor and point to the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. As the Lord leads you, let me, let me pray for us. As the Lord leads, just follow His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the words of the psalmist, the words that give me comfort during times of uncertainty, during times of fear. Lord, knowing that your face, your gaze is upon each one of us. God, you hear us. You are capable of making us a new creation here at this point of the new year. God, you change lives. And I pray if anyone here today needs to make a decision, any decision, 
Lord, that you help guide them, direct them. Lord, that First Baptist Church, we can come alongside them and, and help them. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. God, our, our journey, our faith journey is, is one that, that will have peaks and valleys. Lord, maybe we're going through a valley right now. Maybe we've stumbled pretty big. God, we know you can forgive us. You can wash those sins as white as snow. Lord, and lead us to the redemption of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.